Welcome to Tony Steak Podcast. Welcome to the Tony Steak Podcast, episode 216. I'm Sean, and joined with me, we have Off Road Andy. I'm uh, the second in the band right now. This is weird. I've got to share a microphone. Uh, we'll, we'll get into why a little in like 10, 10 minutes. <laughs> How about right now? Joined with Andy's odd intro to himself, we have friend of the pod, Alex. Hey there, everyone. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Excited to have you. So if you uh, have been with us for a long time on the pod here, you know that means this is a happy hour podcast. You may have also guessed that because I think it'll say it in the title. But yeah, welcome, uh, Alex, to uh, episode 216, Happy Hour. Thank you. Thank you. So thank you. Uh, a little bit of housekeeping first. Thank you guys for tuning in. Hit that subscribe button and share with a friend. And uh, if you're listening to this, say, on a weekend or afternoon uh, after five or after you're working, maybe you fire off some sort of a beer or wine uh, with us as you listen. And uh, tonight we're drinking wine. Yes, we've got wine. But if uh, you know, have a Sprite or something, that's fine, too. Um, that's very true. But tonight we're drinking wine. And really quick, let's clear this up too. So yeah, Andy and I are sharing a microphone. I have an old computer and it's not playing nice. So we're having to MacGyver it. Um, so there's going to be del a delay between the two of us speaking because he has to lean back for me to lean in to talk and vice versa. <laughs> but a lot of uh, stuff to get into on this uh, awesome happy hour. Let's kick things off with Alex. What did you just pour yourself? Poured myself a nice glass of uh, Post and Bean, which is a um, oh vineyard out of Napa Valley that's owned by Nickel and Nickel, which is then owned by Farniente, um, of which I am a member. So I, I have specifically... Uh, brought this bottle of wine. I think actually, Sean, you've had some nickel and nickel with me before. It looks like a familiar uh, kind of label. Yeah. One of my favorites. One of my favorites. Now also to be real clear, Andy belongs to nickel nickel, but I think it's a different, uh, different place. You're referring to that old arcade. <laughs> I couldn't help myself. Uh, yeah. And Andy and I are drinking a, a, a Pinot Noir out of the Oregon area, uh, which is also delicious so yeah alex here is a, a, a bit of a, a, a sommelier of some sorts so a wine aficionado he's shaking his head you no can't call him that unless he is yeah i would uh step away from the sommelier and well go, i said a bit of i didn't say you know an advanced a master none of those i said a bit of a sommelier i don't think you could be like part one or half a one i think you either are or you aren't yeah, I think that's a true statement. I mean, there's other levels past, you know, regular sommelier. There's master and... Um, you have your learner's permit. Yeah, which really just makes me an alcoholic. So. No, it makes you an American. <laughs> oh, yeah. But yes, I have a love for wine. And um, I try to share that love with everyone I get the chance to. Wine is fun. I enjoy wine. And do you like wine? I'm liking it right now. There he is. If I speak loud enough, it could hear, but it'll probably sound like that. So Yeah. Okay. Let's do some testing here, live on the air. See, that's better. Yeah, yeah I got to get into the mic. Yeah, yeah. Better for everyone. So, uh, Alex, is this what everything you uh, thought it would be? This oh, yeah, yeah. Stuff? 
I was totally nervous, didn't know what to expect going into this, had no idea. My fiance uh, was just looking at me like, so what are you going to talk about? Like, are you nervous? What's going on? Sean was texting me like, think about your topics. And I'm just thinking like, oh God. Yeah, you, you do your homework. <laughs> yeah, I have no idea. So yeah, not not what I expected because I didn't know what to expect. You know, I picture this is basically what the, the recording room looks like at Jack FM. Now for the uh, listeners here, this is just on a dining room table, an 11-year-old MacBook Pro meets a ThinkPad across from it where Alex is recording. And uh, yeah, Andy and I have to share a mic because of my, co- my old computer here. Uh, but we're making it work. And, you know, it, it's it's part of the, the charm that is Tony's Take Podcast. Um, so yeah, Alex, as you had mentioned, you're engaged. And uh, I am as well. And our fiancés are actually very good friends. Shout out to uh, Felicia and Lisa. Yeah, that's actually how we met. You said that better this time. So. Uh, just, just for some clarity here, uh, we we already had an uh, attempt number one, and uh, there was a failure. But uh, uh, we we learned from it, and we've improved our speaking. Uh, Sean said that much more understandably this time. So it made sense to me when I said it. I don't remember what I said, how I like how I said it, but you guys knew what I meant. Uh, but yeah, so how far away is your wedding for the uh, listener? Yeah, we are getting married November twentieth. So time is ticking here and I am realizing every single day um, how difficult it is to plan a wedding. So thankfully Lisa's uh, taking the horns on that one and not complaining too much. So it's making it, it's making it easy. Are you learning how ridiculous everything costs? It, it, it's an absolute joke. I mean, I know we were talking about photography earlier, but as soon as, as soon as there's bride or wedding or engagement in those margins go up. Somehow invoked into the idea of taking a photo, it, the the multiple is like a 30. It's it's out of control. It's preposterous. Uh, I will say I uh, was looking into, so a little background in, in case the uh, listener here isn't aware if they're just tuning in. Uh, so I'm- Why would they just be tuning in? <laughs> I mean, to like our podcast, Andy, Jesus. Uh, my reception for my wedding is at, the racetrack Santa Anita. So it's kind of old, like kind of a place type of thing. So I thought it'd be neat to go from the church to the venue in a vintage like car. And, uh, immediately my mind went to like a old, like a sixties or seventies, maybe eighties, like uh Mercedes convertible kind of thing. But then I'd have to do the driving, uh, which is okay. But those cars are still like, you know, pretty expensive and hard to find uh, on a rental app like Turo or something. But I stumbled across a vintage like limo rental place in Newport Beach. I don't recall the name offhand, but so I emailed the guy and they only have like 1930s like Rolls Royce limos, like the two seater though limos like that uh, and cars similar to that. Uh, for our specific date, how many cars they have total, I have no idea, but um, that wasn't as startlingly as expensive as I had, kind of was expecting it to be out of Newport Beach for a wedding. Yeah. Um, it started at three hours, about 900 bucks, 700 bucks. Uh, Driver included? Yeah. That's not bad. So we don't need that. And I even explained the situation. Like, we literally need 30 minutes max, like a couple of photos, drive us four miles be on your merry way. 
but that's not how it works. Uh, so I'm going to continue to look, but I just think that'd be pretty cool. Oh yeah. Nice old Rolls Royce, any of that kind of, you know, spooginess be fun. Oh yeah. So I recently had access to a, a 2007 Honda Civic. Um, but I did part with that, so I, I can't help you out there with a classic car. <laughs> Vintage right there. Yeah, Andy just got a new car, folks. There we go. We did. I think, did we not talk about that on our weekly show? You no. mentioned it after the pod. It's not that important. I don't care about cars. They just drive. Um, A to Z. So I, I don't, I don't want to hijack any uh, wedding stuff because... Uh, for me, this is like this is like uh, watching the Lord of the Rings or stuff. It's it's total fantasy. <laughs> but yeah, so we're learning the same thing. Uh, everything's just expensive. You know, my sister they uh, told us the other day for their wedding, which was eight years ago, their florist quoted them sixty grand for flowers. Yeah, that somehow now doesn't surprise me. I mean, my sister Christopher Walken wasn't at the wedding, like secretary. You know <laughs> what the hell? It's crazy. I mean, uh, my my sister is twenty two months younger than me, and she's engaged right now to be married at the end of April of twenty two. And um, you know, Lisa and I are doing a much smaller wedding, probably fifty to eighty people, just keeping it close knit family and like close friends. And my sister kind of wanted the same, but her fiance is a you know big time attorney up in San Francisco, and. Uh, he is envisioning like 300 people. Oh yeah, of course. Oh yeah. So then you take the boat over to the you know house on the mountain. Oh, they they've they're doing it at Rancho Valencia, which is absurd. Mazel tov. I mean, my dad is just sweating. I'm sure. <laughs> it's been an interesting experience, but I, you know, less is more in some cases like that. It's more special. Yeah, we're trying to do a small wedding, but with our family sizes, we're still at like 120 people. It's hard because <laughs> it's like, who do you not include, right? There are certain people like Lisa and I have like a list and we've highlighted people that are like, you know, optional <laughs> for lack of a better yeah. word. But, you know, it's then it's whose feelings are you going to hurt, right? If other, you know, aunts are invited, but aunt number two isn't invited, how do you draw that line and like what what's what's fair? So it's a weird situation to be in. Yeah. I've got an idea here. Host like an informal party. Like you'd have to do it like next month because you gotta you gotta make decisions quick. Uh and then who uh annoys you the least gets to come to the the real thing. Yeah. So then it's like they deserve it if they're not coming. Oh, I mean, I already know the answer to this though. Like <laughs> I've known, I've, known these, I've known these people my whole life, but it's uh it's it's a weird situation to be in that I would never have foreseen. Yeah. See, I couldn't care less what people think. Um, I don't care. Like we had to cut off like a nephews. Well, not like a, like cousins, kids kind of thing because between us, like it would look like a, we play loud place at this place. I'm like we're not having that. And some people got upset and it's like, well, that's too, too, sorry. I don't know. I don't too, too bad. Yeah. You don't uh, have to come either. Yeah. And then also it's like, I'm cutting off, like the, I'm drawing the line at, you know, friends like that, you know, I would have invited you know, a while ago, but now it's like, eh, we can't things cost a lot of money. Yeah. We didn't win the Powerball. No, it's, there's not a cash tree in my backyard. <laughs> so no, I get it. And, uh, yeah, I think most people are understanding about that, but from the person that's having to tell you no, it's a weird, it's a weird place to be in. Yeah, 
my whole thing is I'm not on social media. So, I mean, most people I know probably don't know. And so it'll just be one of those things like in like three years, like we run into them at a Trader Joe's and like, you got married? Yeah. That's yeah. funny you say that. I'm not on social media at all either. And uh, for me, it's more like, I have a big family. Like my mom's whole, all of her family is like spread out here through California. And my dad was born in New Jersey. So all of his family's in New Jersey and Italy. So it's just spread across the board. And it's like, okay, everyone in New Jersey talks to each other every day, right? Cause there's nothing else good to do in that state at all. So we invite one of them because, you know, I'm really close to them and Lisa's, you know, getting close to them. And then everyone knows and they're like, why wasn't I invited? Right. And it's, it's different because I was invited to all their weddings, but all their weddings were hosted in a big warehouse in New Jersey. Right. So <laughs> there's a difference. Yeah. It's a, it's a tick for tack sort of thing, but it's so, been a learning experience. I have a non-related, non-wedding related thing, but an experience that I had recently, you talked about not being on social media. I don't have that stuff. And uh, if you haven't been paying attention, we've been kind of like isolated from most uh, of our Say extended friends, you know, so that those kind of people where you don't know what's going on in their lives. So I was uh, at uh, Sean's former former house. His his old roommates they had a uh, people over, and this one guy came in, a guy I, I don't talk to, but I'll talk to him in these settings. Come in with twins. I'm like, holy shit, what the fuck happened there? <laughs> uh, and I was like, that's that's crazy. And then so then uh, and last week I was talking to another friend that was there and I said, oh, you know. I was surprised your friend, uh, this guy, didn't come to that party. And he's like, oh, well, his wife just had a kid like that week. And I was like, oh, like I'm just totally out of it. And like, I don't know what's going on in people's lives because I'm kind of fine with it. It's, it make, makes yeah. you feel guilty sometimes. But I was like, so I don't know if you guys have had that same experience where you, you don't know what's going on in people's lives this past I year. I don't need to know. <laughs> that That's kind of where I'm at too. And I mean, like, it, it's kind of screwed up to say, but like the people that, I really care about, like I'll reach out to, even though I'm horrible at doing that. I'm very bad at like who has the time following up, right? I think there's more important. I don't know. Anywho, um, I think that with these kind of restrictions that have been put in place because of COVID, it's even more difficult to maintain a social life outside of those third party apps that you're trying to um, open up like a venue of communication from. So doing that naturally through text or call. I feel is a lot different than just reading what's going on in someone's life on a post. Yeah. You know, I th aren't you supposed to only know like nine people? I think that's a pretty safe number. Caveman days. Like, you knew your immediate group and that was it. It's like, okay, I'll do my best to keep it to nine. Yeah. I got 120 going to the wedding. So like, I'm almost there. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a consuming concept, social media. I mean, like I work in uh, banking and finance and, you know, while I'm at work, my job is to snoo smooth and, you know, create relationships and maintain those relationships for capital needs. And when I'm not doing that, when I'm not at work, the last thing I want to do is do that. Right. So yeah, you feel like you're working. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a interesting concept. So I have another question though about the wedding and the, the people you're inviting, because I, I don't know how that works. Do you actually like wait on responses and then you pull into the back group or do you just like, well, I saved money. That person's not coming. Or is there tier two? It depends. Okay. I haven't gotten that far yet. Okay. All I know is that we're sending out two sets of invitations. One is a save the date. And then I think which people actually respond to. 
And then the second one's a, this is the location, time, and tell us what food you want. So we're doing it. Maybe this is sneaky. Maybe this is not. But we're really going to hold on sending our save the dates. <laughs> Just you never know. I don't think we have like a, you know, a second uh, in line kind of thing. I think we just, okay, we're down to 105, you know? Um, but I'm not sure. Well, I'm thinking like, uh, you know, like airplanes, you overbook because you know some people are going to cancel and then, then there's a guy who doesn't have a seat. So you're not going to do that situation. You're not going to send out 130. No, we don't want to have anyone on standby, like waiting, like coming into the venue. Am I not? What happened? Like, sorry, sir, we're full. Like, we're at capacity. You need one to leave before you can come in. <laughs> yeah, that would be a disaster. I mean, we're in a, we're in an interesting situation where we are being we are not being charged a venue fee. We just have a minimum food and drink. Okay, yeah. So we're estimating that you know guests will spend let's say two hundred dollars each between drinks and food, and you know the the food menus pre selected and. Uh, you know, we know the pricing on that, but let's just say, you know, everyone's going to have two to three drinks. So we're budgeting that $200 mark. Some will have less, some will have more. It should even out. And then we find our multiplier to get us to our, our food and beverage minimum. And that is like 20% lower than the maximum capacity. So it, it's, it's an interesting balance there too, as far as like the number of people that you invite. Because we don't want to say like, hey, we're going to cut people off. If you're having a good time, like I want you to have a good time, but you better not be drinking 30-year-old McAllen. <laughs> yeah, I would tell them just pulled McAllen. <laughs> don't even offer it. Yeah. So it's a weird balance that way. See, we're ending. We have an open bar until I believe nine, but the venue's over at 10. So it's like, okay, well, it's like the you know, seventh inning, like. No more alcohol. You got to sober up. Yeah. So I think ours will work out just fine for that. Um, Did you get a flat price for the open bar or is it on a drink, like a per flat DM? Price. Uh, they have tiers though. So like a middle shelf, top yeah. shelf kind of thing. Um, I don't even remember what we got, but it, I mean, it wasn't like, you know, Mickey's or anything. It was, um, it's nice I go Heineken Modelo range yeah. just for beers. Um, I don't know, like what kind of, maybe Bullet, I think, Makers. Yeah, like great that. rye whiskey, right? So, so we get to have a, a custom drink each. And so mine is obviously an old fashioned. That's my uh, cup of joe. Uh, so I'm excited about that. That is what's, what's, uh, what's like. <laughs> so her main kind of a drink she likes to do is white wine with ice cubes. <laughs> so I think she was doing that, but um, I guess we'll see. Very interesting. <laughs> I don't know how to comment on that. It's a secret I, of the pros. No, I get it. I get it. Um, well, okay. I like that. A drink of a drink that's representative of both you guys. Yeah. They also get to name a race after us because it's, it's race season. Yeah. So, so do you guys get free entrance into that race? Oh yeah, we get uh, to the Sanity track all day. Oh, so they're racing during the day, and then your yeah, reception so the closes. I think the last race is like 2.30 or something. So by 3.30, everyone should be kind of out of there. We're not there until 5. Gotcha. But obviously, you and Felicia need to duck out before then, right? To get ready? 
Yeah, I mean, she probably will miss the whole day there. I She'll was going to say, like, there's the little... girls and all that kind of stuff, but we'll be there. Okay, I love that. That just sounds like a. They also have a, a grand piano in the room, and I, I want to get my hands on that guy. Yes, dangerous. <laughs> we went over there to look at like tables and stuff, uh, like for decoration a couple like months ago. And I was really hoping that the lady wasn't going to like go with us. She would just, okay, yeah, come on in. Cause I wanted to just let her rip. You could tell this thing's a nice piano, but she stayed in there and was like, eh, next time we still have to go back and like taste food and all that kind of stuff. So how fun, how fun. It'll be fun. And I'll tell you what, this year, holy moly for us, we have, a wedding from every month. We have one wedding from August through November, all the way to Montana. We go to Ojai, uh, San Clemente, Crone de Mar. So, yeah. Just and, you know, burn a hole in that pocketbook. I feel like we're in the same boat. I mean, it's probably for a couple of the same people, but it's, yeah. uh, it, it's going to be a lot. And then on top of that, it's like, okay, there's, you know, Lisa's telling me about all these bachelor parties that she's going on. And I'm like, great. I've had, that'll be fun. But it's like when we were trying to pick our day, it was navigating between other people's bachelor parties, weddings, and their honeymoons. And at some point we were just like, okay, we can't account for any of this anymore. Like if you are on your honeymoon, we love you. I'm sorry. But, you know, uh, <laughs> it, it was an exercise just to find a date. I'll believe it. We didn't have any of that issue. Uh, for our date, I don't believe. I, I there might be, but it's one of those things like with her like extended family. It's like okay, but that might be like an engagement party or something. But you guys had an issue that popped up. I don't know if it was before or after you made the decision on the date. That was just a subsequent event happening in the near vicinity. Yes, the Super Bowl, <laughs> which we obviously didn't. Uh, consult with them okay super bowl what do you guys got that go, going on so we found that out like a couple months after we had signed the paperwork and all that and it's like that wouldn't have changed our mind also like what the hell are the odds of it being at sofi stadium in la and we're in pasadena it's like come on no one in their goddamn right mind should be staying in pasadena if they're going to the super bowl and by the way my cousin from montana fully intends to go to the super bowl the Oh, two days after your wedding. Yeah. Okay. How easy is it to get tickets there? I don't know. But I told you when you first said, like, oh, we're thinking first week of February. I'm like, you know, that is the Super Bowl. Yeah, but did anyone actually know it was here? I didn't. No, I I, I knew it was going to be there eventually. I didn't know it would be so soon, but uh, I guess. If the Super Bowl was in, you know, Denver, I wouldn't have. Okay. You can watch it at your house two days after our wedding. <laughs> you know? I don't know. That wouldn't affect me. Oh, yeah. It's not, not a problem. I mean, you explained it right then. Like, oh, no, we're, we're getting married on Friday. So that's the Super Bowl. I'm like, oh, well, that's good with me then. And then, yeah, you told me uh, it's actually in L.A. this year. Uh, but I think uh, that means like Charles Barkley or something is going to end up on your wedding because he went to the wrong event. And just like, probably, right. probably, yeah. I, I mean, fully anticipate Shaq at least coming in. Now that I say it, Barkley's 100% going to be there because he's definitely going to be at the track. That's actually that's, a very good, a good point. point. Wow. Yeah, that's a very good point. You're going to have crashers that are Hall of Fame basketball players. That would be a pretty cool story, though. Yeah, I'll, I'm fully okay with that. I mean, 
it'd be a little awkward going over to you know uncle frank and be like hey sorry you gotta go like shack just walked in like we're at capacity and you were the last person invited like, he'll understand i'll just probably want to picture a signature or something and yeah exactly um all right should we get off of wedding talk and uh should we talk some like financial stuff we can definitely talk some financials. Are you a crypto guy? Do you like crypto? So I have mixed feelings about crypto. Um, I So I guess a little bit of background on me. By no means am I uh, a authorized financial guide or counselor or anyone who can give you any sort of legal advice on what you should be doing with your money. I do, however, work in the finance and capital markets industry and sector and um, get a lot of exposure to um, that world through work and school. So back to this crypto idea, I am a very much a value growth investor who is more focused on for personally long-term gains and less volatility. Crypto scares me in that it is unknown, marginally regulated, and extremely volatile. And we look at something like the the Coinbase IPO that just happened. So when I see things like the, the, the CEO president of Coinbase went through with this IPO, he, this, the stock started, so they, let's back up a quick second. They didn't do a traditional IPO. They did not have a third-party um, financial institution come in and say, based on your financial statements, this is what your company should be worth, and this is what you should be priced at based on the number of stocks that you're issuing. They went in and said, we're not doing that. We're going to go do our own financial analysis, and we'll tell the market what we're coming out at. Seems like a great idea. Yeah, and, and it was for the owner who came in at 350 Within a couple hours, it was up at 394 share, and he offloaded like $160 million of his own shares the, within, right off the bat. within the first couple hours. Now, it wasn't a substantial portion. He still has about $20 billion worth of shares at that price. However, the stock took a dump over the last four days. I think it's still traded down today to about like 250, 225. So that kind of raises some questions. And Coinbase is the first publicly traded uh, trading institution for cryptocurrency. Um, so you can go get a Coinbase account and through that you can buy and trade cryptocurrency. I used it. I just sold all of my uh, positions like a month ago. Well, what were you in? You know. Ethereum, Bitcoin, like uh, and like three little ones underneath yeah. Bitcoin wallet or whatever the hell it was yeah. called. Um, I bought oh, right when, like after it exploded around Christmas time a few years ago and still made some money, but I mean, it immediately dipped right after I bought. But then because of Elon Musk doing his whole thing uh, a few months back, I made some money on it, but not a lot. I mean, I only had like, you're like looking at like 400 bucks in the market or something. Yeah. And, and again, it's, it's, it's fun to play around with that sort of stuff. So w my personal opinion are there's when we're in a bull market like we are right now, there's other money to be gained on non-volatile um, 
indexes and stocks that are safer plays that aren't going to like, you know, you're not going to wake up one morning and look at your investment account and go, whoa, what just happened, right? It's going to be a, it's going to be something that has a, a similar movement to the actual markets. And I think that is, um, that that's my preference because it's more predictable and more understandable. When I see, you know, the S and P and the NASDAQ and all the composite stocks going through the roof. And I look at this outlier that's just shit in the bed. I say, what, what happened, right? There has to be some news that's pertinent to only them. Um, that that's really too hard to follow on a large portfolio. So anywho, I like the idea. I do think that it's going to be a big part of the future and investing. And um, it's an interesting cash alternative, an investment alternative. Yeah. Andy just bought his car with Bitcoin. Did you really? <laughs> oh, but no, you hear about all these places that are now accepting Bitcoin for payment. A lot of renters. I saw the most expensive penthouse in London. You can buy it with Bitcoin. It's crazy. I mean, um, it really is. But you also hear these horror stories where people are forgetting their passwords. Oh, yeah. Losing Love that. Or, or losing a flash drive or wherever their wallet is stored. I mean, I think I read about someone who lost like, I don't know, $500,000 in Bitcoin just because they lost a, a thumb drive. I think people have lost hundreds of, or like millions, multi-millions. And you hear all these stories of like, I'll give you, you know, ten percent if you're you know, a hacker who can get into it. It's like, oh my god, that like, I don't know how you bounce back from that. Like, if you have like twenty million dollars locked up in you know your iPhone eight that you don't know how to get into, and it's like, I, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know how you bounce back. And that's the whole issue with this idea of these aren't regulated markets. They are somewhat. There is legislation coming out that is improving upon regulations, but the FDIC and other insurance agents, if that happens in a normal brokerage account or any sort of stock account that you have, you're covered by the federal government. If someone steals your money or if the, you know, if the bank that's you're holding your money in forecloses, there's, there's loan loss reserves and ways for them to insure that money for you. There isn't with Bitcoin. So if someone yeah. loses that, you're out. So I don't want to say it scares me, but I just think there's alternative investments that show just as promise as a return. You know, what do I wish that I bought Dogecoin at one dollar or a Bitcoin? Absolutely, but yeah. um, very few people had that foresight, and those who did. I mean, I think I read an article uh, on Bloomberg yesterday about a guy that took his entire retirement savings and dumped it in a Dogecoin. Unbelievable! And it was like it was one hundred and sixty thousand dollars or so, and now he's you know multimillionaire. Um, but that's a huge risk, right? I mean, yeah, you don't read about all the stories of where the guy does that and then it takes a bigger shit. Yeah. That happens, I think, a lot more often. Yeah, exactly. So it's a risk risk reward equation, but, um, you know, I, I've recently been getting Lisa involved in the markets and curious. So it's been a fun experience. I've enjoyed seeing a rise in Farfetch and uh, Revolve. They're online shopping because of the pandemic. So I think Farfetch is up to like the $50 mark. I bought in single digit. That is, And I think similar with Revolve. Something, no, Revolve was around like $20 mark. And now they're up to about between 40 and 60. I haven't looked in a while. I think around 50 also for them. It's pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, 
depending on the duration, but a hundred percent gain or a 500% gain over anything is, you know, that makes you happy. My mega winner and it's down, but it's still up enough. But at the time uh, I was around Christmas time, uh, was plug their electric power, uh, solar power and different alternative, uh, power, uh, supplies. I bought at like $2 and change. And then at one point they're at 78 bucks. That's impressive. That's got to feel good. I told everybody. <laughs> yeah. And it's, and it's those ones that make you happy. And, uh, you know, again, if you, if you're in at $2 and you buy a hundred shares and you're at a 35 multiple, you're, you're kicking ass. I should clarify. I think since Biden's been in office with the, um, fuel cell energies and everything, it's now at like 30 bucks, but I'm still up. Yeah. But I think it would have been a little better, uh, other circumstances have happened. So, uh, my problem with that stuff is, uh, you got to have a lot of money already to really make good money off of stuff like that. Even like you said, I mean, if you're going 40 times, that's, you could put in 500 bucks and make a lot of money. But like, if you're like, Oh, I got a 60% return. like, that's incredible. But I put in a thousand dollars. Like, all right, that's, uh, you know, years down the line, you could buy a PS5 when they're available. That's what you made off. (laughs) But I'm saying if you, if you have enough money to actually really make something, well then, uh, what are you even doing trying to, you know, chase these giant returns like that? It's like, well, you have enough to just park it somewhere, <laughs> somewhere safe, right? Yeah. And that's so like, it's, it's like, like there's like the, the examples of like that the one the, the one GameStop guy who's you know worth that much millions. It's like, well, that guy had like three hundred grand to start with, which is like so much more than the average person has to work with, and like, uh, so there's those cases. But if you have, you know, if you have a, a million. And you're like trying to chase, why are you trying to chase 60%? Like, yeah, it's like, that's not, it's not worth it. It, it, It's an interesting paradigm there too. And that's kind of what I'm talking about. Like compounding value is what long-term investments are all about, right? You make 10% one year, you reinvest that 10% of gains into additional stock flow. And that allows your base of growth to grow as well. Right. So let's give a hundred dollar example. You make ten dollars of investment on a hundred dollar investment one year, or ten dollars of gain on a hundred dollar investment year one. Your basis for starting year two is now a hundred and ten dollars. So ten percent gain on that would be eleven dollars, so on and so forth. Right. So as long as you're in something that's always positively growing at a relatively steady rate, that compound and growth is what builds wealth. Those are my retirement funds right there. Snowball effect. Yes, yes. And that and that's how true wealth is built. So one stock that I've really been uh it's a large part of my portfolio right now that I really like is uh it's the ticker VOO VU and it's the um it is the Vanguard Vanguard uh S&P 500 index that trades um a, a lot of the big pieces of the S&P 500 but heavy on the heavy on the tech side of things. And it it proves like a 13 14% annual gain and um I really like it the the a lot of these ETFs or indexes that you'll buy and do have really high management fees. And I think they're like six basis points on, on, on a fee basis. So, I mean, that's, you know, six one hundredths of 1%. So it, it's, it's nothing. Um, 
So I just pulled them up over five years. They're up a hundred percent. What would have been a great time to buy was about a year ago with COVID because it dipped down. It's trading right now at uh, three eighty to ten. Yeah. So I mean, that, that's what I did. Is I never put any money in the market uh, because I'm like, I'm going to wait until there's actually some sort of significant decline that happens. You know, like a twenty percent thing that happens at some point, and then I'll buy. <laughs> So yeah, it worked, yeah, that worked for me, but now it's like, well, now you're just going to get stable from here on. And I wish I had, you know, 300,000 to invest, you know, six, 12 months ago. Uh, it's like, it's like, oh, it's a nice return, but it's not, it's not life-changing. You know? No, not at all. And, you know, as much as I hate to say it, we are due for a correction. I mean, that we've been in a, a strong market since 08. And you know it is it is time for something to be adjusted. I mean, just talking home home the home market alone, it's impossible to buy a home in California. So unless you have help from family or friends or whatever, um, getting to that down payment uh, for a house that's realistic and in a nice area is an absolute joke. So there will be a correction that uh, you know happens very likely in the next five years, which is going to have to uh, adjust both. Um, cost of living and, um, you know, home, home prices included in that. And so, um, it's, it's a big deal. And the fed set interest rates at such a low level right now. I mean, um, and even, even mortgage rates are just so incredibly low that they're keeping this bull market alive a little bit longer, but that the fed can't do that forever. They're lending money to institutional borrowers for free right now. Um, and that just can't last. That's more of a disaster, uh, it's more of a tactic to avoid disaster, which is what kind of why they did it during the pandemic. But that's going to change and it's going to have a lot of other uh, reciprocal effects down the line. So I say we're not too far away from some sort of correction. And let me ask you this in regards to, let's say, crypto or uh, stocks. Do you see uh, any trouble in, on the horizon? Do you see any heavy loss I know crypto is a little bit more difficult to grasp, but how about just stocks? It's like, are they going to continue going? I mean, everything, once GameStop happened, it seemed like everything kind of took a shit because the stock market was trying to like kill Robinhood uh, people, which I looked up. The average Robinhood user is 31 years old and has about $240 in their account. That's interesting. I did not know that. How are they making that big of an impact? Yeah. I mean, so... To answer your question, um, I don't know, right? So, so really, the market is on a very like let's say we're flying at forty thousand feet right now. The stock market is based on consumer, um, consumer and um, institutional, um, lack of a better word, their outlook. What does their perspective currently? Right, the market goes up when a lot of people buy. The market goes down when a lot of people sell. Institutions and consumers alike. So, if some, you know, natural disaster or some event happens that's outside of that, that brings people's outlook on the economy down. The market's going to reflect that. So, do I think that there is going to be some bubble that bursts at some point in the next 
five years that is a, it allows for a correction? Absolutely. Do I know what it is? No. Um, yeah, no, I have no idea. But it's interesting nonetheless. What if we all three of us here put our heads together and created the next disaster to get rich off of it? <laughs> Wouldn't that be something? Andy, you've been awfully quiet over there. Uh, I'm I'm wondering about the, uh, I don't want to say the tech bubble because that says a lot of things. The tech components bubble slash shortage. And uh, I don't know if you pay attention to that stuff, how it's just impossible to get. Uh, I mean, like the PS5, they had no idea that that was going to be sold out forever, but it's everything. Yeah. So it's like people trying to buy like used PS4s because they can't even get a PS5. Like they can, those are way over above market computer components, like everything like uses that stuff. And it's like, that's going <laughs> to crash at some point. Uh, Cause it's just like the, the secondary part of that is just the, the resale market. Yeah. And people are like I can make money off of this by buying up the inventory and holding it. And it's like, at some point, are people going to step in and say, you can't do that anymore? Like, yeah. And it will not, I know that's so small scale when you think of like PS fives, but I'm just thinking like the people who are like, they've bought in a thousand of them because they can make $300 profit. Um, it's like, it's a joke. Like, and, and it just drives prices up and inventory yeah. down and it, it really becomes an issue. And um, I hate to go back to the housing market again, but I mean, one place that I see a potential bubble and um, you know, not to get political here at all, but when this pandemic started, I think it was actually president Trump that put into place a moratorium on foreclosures and um, any sort of, uh, you know, also a rent um, abatement moratorium, but also on foreclosures of homes and, and sales. So there are, right now, prices are through the roof because demand's through the roof and supply is low. It is impossible to get um, a home. So once this gets corrected, I know it was just extended, but once that stops, these people that haven't been making their mortgage payments for a year plus are going to have a balloon payment similar to the 2008 crisis, a balloon payment that they're going to need to make to keep their home, which sad as it is to say, in all likelihood, probably won't happen. And those people are going to be foreclosed and inventory in the market is going to go through the roof and the 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 pricing adjustment will occur. It's that scene in the big short where uh, Steve Carell is just getting uh, in the airport and he calls his uh, colleague in New York. It's like it's a bubble <laughs> in Florida. It, it, it's a it's a crazy concept, and you know it's it's just so unpredictable. So my sister sold her house in Aliso. It was a nice house, a little like track area. Um, in five days. And at like 15 or 20% above asking price cash, no, no, uh, escrow, no, no, uh, um, no contingencies, nothing. It's like, Oh my God. And I actually heard on the news, and maybe you can explain this to me and maybe I didn't fully understand what they were saying. It was, I think at 6am this morning. So I wasn't fully awake that majority of people buying homes right now are not individual people, but like companies and such. Yeah, so there is a lot of uh, investor buys going in right now. Uh, again, because mortgage rates are so low, um, there's a concept that is home pricing and interest rates have an inverse relationship. So when more when interest rates, mortgage rates specifically, are low, 
home pricing is high. And when mortgage rates are high, home pricing is low. So the, the, the ideal play on that, if you're a person buying your own home, for example, is to buy when interest rates are high and home prices are low, let the home appreciate over time and refi when mortgage rates adjust lower and pricing goes high. So then you're at a home at the right basis and now you're playing, paying a lower interest rate. Investors don't look at it that way. They're saying interest rates are low. Um, this mark, this is this this home is going to do nothing but appreciate. Yeah, I might correct every now and then, but over a long period of time, it's only going to appreciate, and I can get this money for practically free. And I'm not put this isn't my own money. I'm investing in this, so it it papers. It makes sense. So there are a lot of uh, in, investor purchasing investor purchasing going on right now. I will say, however, that. A lot of home builders, uh, specifically in new home construction, will frown on that because they're they're building communities to um, actually have a, a a community and have people like what they're building. And when there's a bunch of investors saying, "I want to buy ten homes in a track," you you know you can ask them what are they going to do with these, and chances are they're going to rent them out. And now all of a sudden, you just bought a home in this track. It's your dream home. They custom made it for you. It's exactly what you want. And you're living next to five fraternity people partying all the time because some investor just bought it and is renting it to whoever will pay. Yeah. So that that's a big issue. But yeah, um, it, it's this all this is all driven by the low mortgage rates. Now let me also like pivot to another thing I've been seeing in the news a lot recently. These mega homes, specifically in LA, uh, appear to be dying. Uh, the one that's like the most expensive home to ever be built, uh, it's like 20 million acres or some nonsense in like the heart of Hollywood Hills or something. Are you familiar with this? No. The guy is upside down on it and hasn't been paying contractors and all sorts of things. And you keep seeing like, these homes are kind of just sitting there. They're selling for way below uh, like their initial asking price. And oh, stuff. he's a builder. Yeah, there are different developers that just kind of flip kind of thing. But it's multiple places. I'm, I'm kind of getting in depth on one or two and then getting a broad brushstroke on the rest. Uh, do you think those like... I think people are seeing like, you know, Beyonce doesn't need to buy another $60 million house in LA. And they're getting pissed at them when they do kind of thing. Like people are unloading that kind of stuff now. Yeah. And then you have TikTokers having these, which that's so annoying. What the hell is TikTok? I'm so sick of hearing that phrase. Um, having like parties for their nerd online popular people uh, that are getting broken up because of COVID and in these mega homes. Yeah. Are they going to continue to be necessary? It's so hard to say, right? Because this whole idea of being in a city has evolved over the last year, right? The desire, the demand to live in a high density area has changed. And people are probably asking the question, okay, do I want to buy a mega home for $60 million or in LA, or do I want to buy a nice, you know, home in LA for four and go have homes all over the rest of the US um, and and be able to travel? $60 million, you can buy the state of Idaho. I know. It's it's crazy. And um it's very interesting. Um, but it's very interesting. Yeah, there's all that stuff about all the like uh, Bay Area people buying in like Montana. So I don't know. I mean, you have, you have family out there still. Yeah. They do they see that they have like these 
what what are these people doing here? Like it's wrong, but they're saving on taxes is what they're doing. So I'll be up there in August. So I'll be able to, you know, pick the brain on that. Then um, my, that'll always crack me up. A few years ago when I was up there, we're at a lake, uh, Swan Lake. It's Western Montana. Uh, wonderful place. I'm so excited to go back. It's been a few years, but we're on this lake. There's maybe three other boats out there. And uh, my cousin's husband, whatever you call that, cousin-in-law, I don't know, uh, is driving his boat. And he points to this huge, like, ocean, like lakefront house, big windows, gigantic house. And he's like, that house right there, I bet you that's a million dollars. And I just, I didn't know it. I just was like, wow. I was like, God damn it. Like, I live in a million dollar house and it's a piece of shit. Like, it's very upsetting. And well, they also have negative 60 in the wintertime. So there's a give and take there. Yeah. They all go south to Arizona to their houses there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. And, you know, Arizona's just as hot as market as any. I mean, I really think that there are so many people leaving California and New York, and they are flooding to Texas, Florida, and Arizona. And the markets there are on fire. I mean, yeah, I mean, companies are learning they can work anywhere. So, yeah, I've been seeing, uh, hearing houses are going above asking, like same day they list in like Austin, Texas, and all that kind of stuff. And I'm sure it's slow. That was early on in all of this. But yeah, I mean, if you don't need to, especially in New York, where it's like six grand a, a month rent, you know, a bathroom, basically, it's like, who wants to put up with that? No. And if you can make, and this this is the biggest shift, right? If you can make New York salary and live in Arizona. Oh, good God. All of the you're sudden. You're a Rockefeller. Yeah. All of a sudden you're saving 60% of your income and you're retiring early. So why wouldn't those people do that, right? Yeah. It's a crazy concept. But then over time it corrects, right? That's where my brother moved to Atlanta. He was like, I'm going to save so much money. And he found out, no, like, because Atlanta basically already had that the last 10, 20 years. Yeah. So many people coming in there. So it's not, it's not prices aren't here, but they're still, uh, they're not what you, you would think. Like, oh, that's going to be cheap cost of living. So, I mean, that's going to happen. It's already happened, I'm sure, in some of the places you say Austin, probably. Yeah. And, uh, you know, <laughs> cost of living is supposed to follow inflation, right? And, um, the cost of living in California and New York are just naturally higher because it's a it's a more desirable place to be. But when you're making, I mean, let's just say you're making two hundred thousand dollars in California, that same exact job at that same exact place in Texas, you're likely making one thirty to one fifty. So if you're coming over there with a fifty dollar, fifty thousand dollar a year increase, plus your savings on your taxes, I mean, that's a huge flip, and that that immediately goes to the bank. However, changing over from that job to a different job, let's say you're going and you're looking in the Texas market, you're very unlikely going to be able to find a job that pays that type of salary. And if once you do take that job, coming back to California will be likely impossible. So there's, there's a weird um, shift there, if that makes sense. Although I've also kind of experience that uh, you don't really ever make less money. And then once you make something and like someone really wants you to move your job, they're never going to be like, oh, but cost of living is cheaper. So we're going to give you 15,000. They're, they're just going to give you, they're still going to offer you a little more. Yeah. So 
uh, yeah, if, if you're going to move, you're going to have to uh, get it so that someone wants you to move rather than you're making that choice. Out hunting so, for it, right? Yeah. yeah, I definitely agree. Well, should we kick off of business and uh, do a little bit of like wine talk before we conclude? Absolutely. I can always talk about wine. Always. This pod, this has been a great happy hour. It, it's got range. Yeah. You know, weddings, talked business, stocks, and housing. And uh, can we talk like toys or something? It's getting too adult. Going into wine and weddings. Like, so, uh, Legos, guys. <laughs> hey, grape juice is kind of a, a kid's concept on an adult world, right? But yeah. Um, yeah, Andy, Mortal Kombat came out today on HBO Max. Did the full one come out? I saw that they released like the first six minutes a couple days ago. I read way too much oh, news. Did they? Yeah. I don't think I can watch that movie. No. I remember when the first one came out in like 2000, right? It was 95. It was 95. But it was like live action Mortal Kombat, right? It was, it was, a, I remember going and seeing that and being like, whoa. It had no plot, no storyline, but, you know, some cool action. It was just still fun for killing. Yeah. Uh, we don't have to talk wine, Andy. I want to talk wine. Let's talk wine. So this is, uh, we're now all drinking the, the Posted Beam, uh, the Cabernet out of Napa Valley, and it's very uh, delicious. It's not too aggressive. It, uh, let's see here. Hold on. Give me a second. It has uh, some good legs on it. So Sean and his fiance borrowed some books in which they're doing a, doing a vast amount of uh, wine research and really drinking from a fire hose, getting caught up here on their vernacular and their process. And yeah, we've drank an entire barrel uh, in the process of reading these books. So it's, it's, it's super healthy and uh, <laughs> it, it, it's a good time though. So um I completely blanked out on where I'm going from that. Oh, so yeah, he was just smelling the wine. And, um, you know, there's a lot of different ways that you can smell your wine, but a lot of people will say that you're supposed to keep your mouth open, which is a super weird thing to do. And you totally look like a jackass for doing it. But uh, most people who are professionally smelling wine will have their mouth open to allow the aroma. Is looking at you like, oh, this guy knows what up. Yeah. What's up? A fisherman always spots another fisherman from afar. All of a sudden, like, you know, you're getting some attention from some servers that might not have been serving you before. And uh, it's a whole, or- whole ordeal. But this post and bean that we're drinking right now is from Oakville, which is very, very, very well known for a, a, a bit of R- Rutherford and Oakville are known for their dust. So like on the nose. Anything older than five years, that's a Cabernet at Oakville or uh, Rutherford, you will get the, the the Rutherford dust or the Oakville dust. Do you, do you smell or taste that? You, you actually mean dust? Yeah, as much as, as much as you can get from that. I'm getting a sinus infection. I'm breathing so much. Okay, I wanted to step in here as interviewer here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take over, Sean. Take, take a little break here. Uh, yeah, because 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 I'm fascinated by it. I know it's not like you're unique in loving wine. It's there's a lot of people, but uh, still, uh, you have to be 21 to drink in this this country. So, is it this, know, this country or the state? Are there still states that are 18? No, they don't get the no. freeway. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I think some states have some laws about like you can drink like at a restaurant. I think like I think it's like Wisconsin or something. You can drink at a restaurant. Yeah, 
yeah some weird stuff like that oh yeah that was the the guy that uh killed the people and during last summer remember that kid no no he there was during the protest and he like went there to like i'm gonna protect oh, people and then he yeah. shot and killed the person and then he was oh. i don't ever i don't want to talk about the whole thing but he was they caught him like he was at a bar like two months later he was out on bail and like he was just at a bar and like wait you're supposed to be 18 and it was like no you're allowed to be at a bar with your mom <laughs> it's like very interesting uh well that's that's a little uh, okay. off track here um <laughs> i so were you already into wine at age 21 or was it something you developed a little later or so i grew up around wine my dad okay. is a huge 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 uh wine guy to the like it, it, it's scary i mean he's not a sommelier but he can taste and drink with the best of them i mean he's the type of guy who will taste a glass of wine blindly and be able to tell you like where what region it's from what berries are included in it and like what what the the temperature was like during that season i mean he is in insane yeah so um we're supposed to wine taste with him soon too yes we we are definitely going to get that uh here soon and it's really incredible but to go back to your question no i've been drinking wine since i could walk i mean my dad was always much of the uh belief that you know if he introduced it to me uh, in a safe environment in a low amount and let me get used to it, I'd be less likely to go out and. Well, it's kind of like how Tiger's dad did it with golf. Your dad's <laughs> like, he's going to be just the best winemaker there ever was. Yeah. And then I uh, did nothing of the sort, but still definitely something we bond over. So like when you turned 21, you didn't go out to like the dive bar. You actually went to a winery and or. No, when I turned 21, I was in Vegas. Okay. okay. Absolutely. Plastic. So I got the, uh, the regular American experience. Oh, okay, oh yeah, okay. for sure. But um, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't really drink liquor. I think Sean was kind of blown away by that the first time we, first couple of times we met. Like I, I don't drink liquor. It makes me sick and like my body just doesn't agree with it. So I'll drink beer. Like if I'm drinking in the during the day, which, you know, I never do, or like, you know, early on in the evening, like I'll stick with beer. And then when it's appropriate or when it's time, I'll switch over to wine. And I rarely get hungover. I mean, I think last time we, I, last time I was hungover was actually with Sean and we probably went through like eight wine bottles between the four of us. It was a lot of wine. <laughs> I had to take a break on the stairs on the way down that morning. Yeah. Thank God you guys had that spare, uh, that guest room, because, yeah, that would have been a disaster otherwise. Yeah. I thought we were leaving at like nine, and it was like three in the morning. I'm like, should we open another bottle? It was, uh, it was a good time. But that being said, I mean, unless we're drinking in, in ridiculous volume like that, I can, I can drink a bottle of wine to myself and have a couple beers and wake up in the morning feeling 100%. With liquor, I will have one old-fashioned or one shot, and I will wreck my day tomorrow. So how we, I made you an old fashioned, uh, I think your last time here, you uh, told me this at that time, but you still graciously drank it. Uh, did that hit you hard the next morning? Oh yeah. It was not a fun morning. Really? Yeah. So I don't know. I, I really just don't know what it is. And I used to be able to drink liquor, but um, yeah, that, you know, it's gotta be polite. I think your body kind of just like, as you get older too, just kind of figures out what you do like, what you don't like and tells you you know, accordingly. Yeah. So Lisa, my fiance is completely the opposite. She has one glass of wine and she's toast. The next day's over, which is a bummer because that's like what I drink. She'll stick with more so the tequila and the vodka and occasionally beer, but mostly with the liquor. 
Um, we have, however, discovered this company, which I think actually you tried, Sean, um, called, um, oh my gosh, I'm totally blanking on the name of it. It's a... Uh, I didn't look it up, my fiance, Felicia. Um, they yeah. are of the night show, once we can think of the name. They're called Dry Farms Wine. And yeah, that's what they do is they're a third-party company that will go and say, you know, let's say you're a vignette or vignette and you you have wine and you want them to dry farms to sell it. They'll say, okay, we need to lab test this. We need to know that they only will sell wine that has an alcohol content less than 12% and a, a residual sugar level less than like, I think a gram, because those are the things that they're attributing to lead to hangovers. So wine is obviously created through, um, through grapes being fermented and that sugar is really the, the, the main point of that fermentation process that, that converts to alcohol. But depending on the berry, there may be residual sugar left over after it converts to alcohol very commonly on these higher alcohol wines. Um, so this brand anyway will tell you, you know, you buy a box from them and each bottle is different and they all have their testing requirements on the back. But Lisa found it on Instagram or something and she's like, everyone says you don't get hung over at all. And she doesn't. Like she can drink that and for whatever reason, like that's her – I don't know if it's in her head or if it's for real, but like it makes sense. Um, but that that's a way that she can drink wine. What you ought to try is the placebo effect and giving <laughs> her, you know, just a bottle of Kendall Jackson, but say, hey, this is from Dry Farms. Uh, would you like to and drink this entire bottle by yourself while I drink one by myself <laughs> and, and see, see the next morning. morning if it messes her up or not? Yeah. You know, she she's going to listen to this and she'll kill me for admitting that that's in my uh, future playbook. Yeah, it's an interesting thought, Sean. By the way, that portion of the pod is brought to you by our good friends at dryfarms.com. Head to dryfarms.com to pick up the hangover free wine, plug in promo code Tony for maybe 5% off, or so I'm told. Dryfarms.com. All right, I've got, I've got, I've got more questions here. Uh, so, something that's always fascinated, fascinated me about wine, and now it's the same thing with beer, but is always food pairings. Uh, we just enjoyed ourselves a nice pizza. And pizza might be thought of somewhat as a, a lower food, but I'm, it goes great with wine, right? You agree? I think all food goes great with wine. Okay, that's what I was going to get into. Is that is that something important? Do you need to match things up if you're like, well, this wine is super special. I need to go get some and eat something special with it as well, or is it? So the answer to that is yes. Yeah, and I've read some of this in the book. Yeah, in the book. So if if you have a, you know, you can have any bottle of wine, but really if you have like a $150 bottle of wine plus and it's going to be a special bottle of wine that you drink, the food that you eat while you're drinking it will definitely enhance the tasting that you're getting from your wine. Um, so and vice versa. And vice versa, for sure. But I mean- you Make that better, Andy. Really, I mean, if you have a super powerful cab- that you know is just going to be a, a 14 and a half, 15% alcohol dominant flavor, and you chew a big piece of steak before that you take a sip of that cab, it is going to enhance the flavor a lot. So it, it all depends. I mean, people are like, you know, I'm not personally a huge white wine fan. I will drink it. There are uh, 
I do like white wine. Warm weather is ideal by the pool. Yeah, a rosé. But you know, I, I love my reds. I love my reds. They're my tried and true. So if I'm having a salmon, I will still drink a lighter Pinot or a um, you know a French Rydal or something that is light, right? Probably sub that twelve and a half percent alcohol range instead of drinking the more traditional um, Chardonnay or Sauv Blanc, depending on where it's from. It's unorthodox, but I think it's okay. I feel like you could go up, but you wouldn't want to go down, if that makes sense. You wouldn't want to have a steak with a white wine, but you could have a, a salmon or chicken with some red. Yeah, yeah. And like, like I said, a Bordeaux or a Pinot or something lighter. You wouldn't want to drink a Syrah or a Grenache at like 16 to 18% alcohol by volume with, you know, a piece of mahi-mahi. It just kind of probably throw your palate off. A little bit. Now, at the same time, something that I found super interesting that I didn't really know too much about before, but um, I kind of noticed that Lisa has an incredible palate. Like her tongue is just crazy good. She can taste the weirdest things. I mean, like the weirdest things that like even I can't. Um, so I did some research on it and it, there's, there's mm, everyone's tongue is different, but there are like, I don't want to say stereotypes, but there are typical, there are like three typical buckets of how your tongue can be. And it's either like, let's say you have a third of the sensors that most people have two thirds or like you have every sensor. And it's also like, if you stick your tongue out where on your tongue, those actual sensors are placed. Like, it's not like everyone's at the front of the tongue and they either have a lot or a little it's like some are in the back some are in the front and it's it's where they're populated so that has a big impact on your ability to like truly taste wine so like i am convinced that i am in the lower range of that that don't have a lot of the receptors because i pay attention to it i've done so much research and reading and like i really am able to pick out some stuff, but I look at Lisa or I look at my dad and it's just like, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Now, if I'm not mistaken though, isn't it that your tongue can really only pick up six different uh, flavors, whereas your nose can do, you know, thousands? Yeah. So I'm trying to remember, I thought, I might be wrong here. I thought the tongue was only three and there were branches of those three that came out, right? So, so I recently read this in the book, and it for the longest time was five. But in the last like decade or two, I think it was like Japanese scientists or something figured out there was a sixth. The umami, right? Or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know exactly. exactly. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, so the, if I remember correctly, and I couldn't name them off to you, there were only six, though, in your um, mouth. But then your nose is basically endless. So I have some personal experience with that. Um, and you guys didn't, even though you both had COVID. Um, no loss of smell or taste. So I, I, I did have, I told you, I lost taste for one day, and it was um, pretty horrible. Uh, but even without smell, there are certain things. So, like, I was having a lot of trouble. And I was like, I need something that I know what it tastes like. And I drank some soy sauce. And it was, all I got was the bitterness of soy sauce. So like it lost all the salt of it. And like, I couldn't tell, is that just, did I really lose taste or did I just lose smell to such an extent that you're just lost? So uh, it is, that whole thing is is fascinating how smell and taste, all that works. Like 
how do you really know? And like I said earlier, was like, I don't know what I've lost at this point. Like, I feel like I've lost some, some part of it. I don't know. Like, if I get a vaccine, will it all come back? It'll be like, like oh, cherries. <laughs> <laughs> all of a sudden. It's, it's so crazy. And like, I, I, am, I am such a texture guy. Like, I'm, I'm a picky eater, first and foremost. But my pickiness has evolved from when I was a child to now to where like, I'm picky about, picky about texture. So I don't like mush. Mashed potatoes, oh. steak fries, like don't I don't want so, anything to do with that. Mush when you couldn't taste anything is the worst thing. I made I, so I made pork <laughs> before I lost my taste, and it was the worst because that's all you have is just that, and you're like, oh, this is like, I guess the worst oatmeal you could ever think of. Just pulled pork. Oh my gosh! Was, without without being able to taste. Oh yeah, pork, I, I'm a, you're just eating pulled pork. Mm-hmm. It's the worst thing you can think of. Yeah. Oh. Um. I am a good fan of some pulled pork, though. I love some pulled pork. I didn't have... I could taste everything. I couldn't smell. Uh, but mashed potatoes, you don't like mashed potatoes. I know. It's like un-American. Really and is. Irish. You're Irish, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm some mix of all of that. I guess more for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if I'm not mistaken on the smell and that, like, chlorine-ish like tingling in your nose for COVID there's hairs inside your, your nasal cavity all the way up like on your if you had a like if you're Anthony Davis with your unibrow uh, and those singe basically and so it takes months for those to grow back which is why your sense of smell can take so long to come back and he's shaking his head in disbelief yeah no, I read that too it's so weird too because it's like are they just internally combust? Like, what do you mean they singed? Like, if someone said, like, oh, they just fall out, and you know, those are like your whiskers on a cat or whatever, and those are your, your sense. That's what your sense needs, and they regrow, but they fall out. But it's like, oh, they singe. So that makes well, COVID is a little tiny little smoker person that goes up <laughs> in your your nose and smokes, and just burns your hairs. Yeah, it makes no sense at all. I I, I don't know. Uh, the more we know about this thing, the stranger I feel like it gets. Uh, anything else we uh, want to get into before we uh, conclude this glorious happy hour? No, but I want to thank you and uh, you know both of you guys for letting me on here, and uh, I appreciate it and hope everyone enjoyed listening. It's really been a cool experience for me. I've never done anything like this. Yeah, I think uh, we've covered some topics we didn't we don't always get into. I think I feel like we've enjoyed some wine while recording before, but uh, maybe not as much wine as we have today, but. I mean, who knows? I mean, we've, we've let some weird people on here. Um, so you can add another one. <laughs> there was, there was one time I know we, do you remember when we tried to like, we were like hiding a Smirnoff bottle underneath the chair and it was like, we gotcha. <laughs> we did this multiple times. Yeah. I think uh, a while ago we would ice people on the pod. Should uh, I look like, under my chair right now? Is that my cue? Is that my cue? Oh no, I'm good. Uh, we iced like a, a friend of ours, Biff, uh, good stuff. But yeah, uh, this podcast had some good range. Uh, I enjoyed it very greatly. And I think you, uh, we, we appreciated you coming on here. Yeah, uh, Alex. I, I enjoyed being on it. So thanks again, guys. Well, I definitely want to have you on again. Uh, friend of the pod, Alex. Woo. Well, I think with that, that'll wrap us up for episode 216 of the Tony's Take Podcast. I'm Sean, and joined with me, we had Off-Road Andy. Thank you for being with us.
and being with us for this experience of wine. I think we'll have some more. Good choice. Pretty good, Andy. And our very special guest on this happy hour pod, Alex. Thanks, everyone, again. Hope everyone has a great weekend. Thank you. We'll see you later.